Welcome to The Church Door, a place where I can post my Bible studies and sermons for your listening pleasure. I'm the Reverend Matthew Fenn, pastor of St. Peter's Evangelical Lutheran Church in Stratford, Ontario. Thanks for tuning us in. Lord God, you have caused all your holy scriptures to be written for our learning. May we so hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that by the patience and comfort offered by your holy word, we may embrace and ever hold fast to the blessed hope of eternal life, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Okay, so we began with Luke uh, last week, and we noticed uh, that Luke chapter 1, uh, the first verses, which happen to be the gospel reading for today, part of it, um, that they give Luke's purpose in writing the gospel. Um, his purpose was to give an orderly account that he was commissioned to do so and that he spent the time to look into the eyewitness sources and pre-written sources and interviewed people. So he did his work. We noticed, uh, um, so right off the bat, today, you, um, if, if you knew more Greek than me, um, <laughs> you would notice that the Greek immediately changes from verse 4 into verse 5. Basically, in verses 1 through 4, he uses classical Greek. Think of that as right, proper, academic English, right? Like, and then switches immediately to common, common English, everyday speech. Um, with the change, though, he, he's explicitly emulating the style of the Greek translation of the Old Testament, because he wants his readers to pick up on that. So let's read the text for today. We're looking, um, you can pretty much guess as we do this study, if you're, if you have a Bible that has those little headings, you can pretty much guess what, what our topics are going to be each week. Because um, they do a pretty good job at splitting these up. So we're looking at the birth, the, the, the birth of John the Baptist foretold. That's uh, chapter 1, verses 5 through 25. And I'll read it. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blamelessly. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now, while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, it fell to him by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense." And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer is heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, 
and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord, and he shall drink no wine nor strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the sons of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before, the Lord, before him in the spirit and power of Elijah, to turn the hearts of fathers to the children, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And, and Zacharias said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel, who stand in the presence of God. I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things come to pass, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondered at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he could not speak to them. And they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple, and he made signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived and for five months said to herself, she hid herself, saying, Thus the Lord has done to me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among men. Thus far our text. So this morning, I want to divide our text into three chunks. First, um, I want you to see that there are there is a revelation that God um, um, has a plan to direct and to restore humanity, that God's working out his plan. All right, second, I want you to see that there is a, the angel gives an outline, an overview of John the Baptist's life himself. And third, I want you to see that there, um, there is the disappointment of these righteous people is addressed by God himself. All right, so th those are the three main points, I think, in this text. The first is a revelation of God's plan. Second, an overview of John the Baptist's career. And third, dealing with the disappointment of Zechariah and Elizabeth. All right. So um, let's, let's start at the top. So notice what he does immediately. In the days of Herod the king. Now, there were several dudes named Herod in the Bible. The Herod who Jesus runs up to and meets during the um, uh, Passion story is not this Herod. That's Herod Antipas, his son. This is Herod the Great. Uh, all right, he, Herod the Great died, according to our historical sources, about 4 BC. Uh, he was given... Um, he became the, the ruler of the Jews uh, under, under Rome. Um, I think it was by Mark Antony. Mark Antony of, you know, Julius Caesar fame. Um, so 
so he, he, he comes, I think it's about 40 BC. So this puts this, this time, this gives us a window of when, when to put this. 5 BC, 6, 4, somewhere close to the end of Herod's life. That's, it's a good bet. But notice he, he gave a historical source, Right? He's, he's placing this in history. This isn't a made-up story, right? This is, you know, he's, he's locating this at a specific place, at a specific time in history. I think that's, that's an important um, point to see. Um, what else can we say about these first, um, first few things? Oh yeah, there, that's what I want. So it's placed in history. Ah, that's and so there. There is immediately an application to this. The application is this: God, who exists outside of history, outside of time, works out His plan in time. He works in and through historical events, real people, real places, that kind of thing. That's, that's important to see. It, that distinguishes Christianity from other religions, right? Uh, for example, let's pick on the Buddhists for a second. The Buddhists, if Buddha didn't exist, does that affect their philosophy? Not in the least. The writings still say what those writings say, right? Right? It, it, it's a philosophy, right? You see what they're But we say in our creed, crucified under Pontius Pilate. Why? Because it's located in history, right? We're saying that these things actually really happen. It's not just a uh, Jesus rose again in your heart as the progressive Christians would like to say. No, he, he like actually rose from the dead. Historically, the tomb is still empty. Don't believe me? Go over and check, right? That kind of thing. It's, it's a concrete reality. And God works in concrete realities. So that's, that's the first, that's a point that I wanted to make there. So the next thing um, I want you to see is that um, you have Zechariah, and he's a priest. Um, and he's of a specific division. Now, each of these divisions, there were um, the point, uh, the, the info you're not, you're missing here is this is a, um, there's an Old Testament connection here um, to First Chronicles. Um, First Chronicles 24, a book we don't often jump over to. Um, verse 10, um, and so th this just gives you the, the divisions. The seventh Hakaz, the eighth Abijah. Okay, so um, here are the divisions, 24.1. The divisions of the sons of Aaron were these, and it, and it gives them, all right? 
So these are, um, there are 24 divisions of priests. If you go through that and do the numbers, there's 24 division of priests in the first century priesthood. Of those priests, that means there are approximately 18,000 priests. 18,000 divided into 24 uh, groups. More specifically, um, a priest only officiated at the sacrifice once in his life because when your division came up, the lots were rolled, dice were rolled, and, what, and somebody was picked to go and do the, the, his work at the temple. So that's, um, that's important. This is Zechariah. This is a special day for Zechariah. This is his once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, right? He's an old man. He's probably not done this before. And now it's finally his turn to go to the temple. And what's he doing there? Well, he's offering incense. So if we turn to Exodus... Uh, 29. We'll see some of the background for that. Exodus 29, um, 38 to 42. And now this is what you should offer upon the altar. Two lambs a year old, day by day, continually. One lamb you shall offer in the morning. The other lamb you shall offer in the evening. And with the first lamb, a tenth of a measure of fine flour with a, uh, mingled with a hin of beaten oil and a fourth of a hin of wine for libation. And the other lamb you shall offer in the evening and shall offer it with the cereal offering and its libation as in the morning for a pleasing odor, an offering of fire to the Lord. It shall be continual burnt offering throughout your generations at the door of the tent of meeting before the Lord where I will meet and speak with you. Okay, so... Um, what happens then, so, so it's either the time of the day is either in the morning or at the evening, right? Uh, in the morning, they did a sacrifice. What would happen? The priest would go in to the temple, into the holy place, not the holy of holies, right? The holy of holies, remember, is beyond that, and it's covered with a big curtain, and only the high priest goes in there once a year on the Day of Atonement, right? So this is just the holy place, and he goes in to burn incense and then leave. It's a quick thing. And then he comes out, um, out to where the people are. The people are in a court, and he gives them the ironic benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you. And meanwhile, what, while he's doing that, while he's going into the temple to offer the incense, the people are waiting outside praying. This is the... So this goes back... This practice goes back to Moses. Goes back to, to Moses and... Uh, the apostles you'll see in Acts, they pray regularly. And th- instead of the sacrifice, what do they do? They just keep the prayer part and throw away the sacrifice part. And the early church picks this up um, and continues this practice. Um, and until until recently, you could expect most churches would have daily morning and evening prayer, 
right? As public services. That's the continuation of this, uh, of this Old Testament thing. Now, I don't know how that changed. Our lives got busy, I guess. <laughs> but um, some churches still offer daily morning and evening prayer. Um, but this is where we get the idea that we should pray morning and evening prayer. Okay. So Zachariah is there. He's, um, he, the setting is, is this time of prayer and, and worship. And, and I want you to see <laughs> that God picked a time of worship to respond to people's needs, to enter, uh, to, to start his plan of salvation going again, right? He picks a time of worship. Um, I also want you to see um, that there, the story here is, is similar and familiar for Old Testament people. What other people in the Old Testament can you remember who were barren, who gave birth miraculously? Sarah, next. There's a couple. Sarah's one. Um, Hannah. Sarah and Hannah should be your two big ones, right? Um, so the Here's a question for you. Does Zechariah know the stories of Hannah and Sarah? Absolutely, he does. He probably knows them better than we do. <laughs> right? Yep. So keep that little nugget of information in your head as we go through this text. So there is... What God's doing here is not unprecedented. He's done it before, right? Making... Uh, allowing someone who is either of old age or barren to have a child. All right. So there's, and the reason why Luke chooses his style to sound like the Bible that they would have, would have, uh, the, the language of the Bible that they would have read is he wants you to see that God, it, the Old Testament stories are picking up again. Right? The, 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 this is a continuation of God's plan in the Old Testament, right? Because with the end of Malachi, prophecy ceased and there were no prophets. And so now he, was, he wants to pick up that and, and say that now God is acting in the world again. Now, it also says that they were both righteous before God, walking in the commandments and the ordinances of the Lord blamelessly. Now, don't, don't be too confused about that. That doesn't mean they were sinless, <laughs> right? It, it means that they, didn't, they weren't murderers. They weren't at all. They did the best. They, they kept the commandments as best as any sinful human could. Um, Um, now the other, the other point here that the temple pops up a lot in Luke, by the way, the temple is the place where, um, God is present, right? God lives in the temple. Remember my, um, sermon 
for Advent. God's presence dwells in the temple. This is the place where prayers go. And, and this is, that's why a, a lot of important events in Luke center around the temple. All right. Okay, so um, next we see, uh, so we, we've, first we've seen that there's a revelation that God is going to continue his, his plan. Next, I want you to see that the, what John is going to do um, it, it, um, in terms of his career. So I don't think we have time to look it up, but um, the angel quotes, um, the angel quotes, well, let's look it up. Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. The angel comes and he says, um, uh, that's Micah, uh, Malachi 3, verse 1. Behold, I will send my messenger to prepare the way before me and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple and the messenger of the covenant uh, in whom you delight. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord. And then 4, verse 5, um, or is it 324? Oh, man, okay. must be 4, verse 5. Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the great and awesome day of the Lord. So, so that prophecy is there. Then, in the intertestamental period, that the time after the Old Testament and before the, the New Testament, that idea is um, expanded on I guess that's the way the way to say it in the book that won't be in your Bibles but it is in this copy Sirach chapter 48 verse 1 Sirach the wisdom of Sirach it's in the Apocrypha 48 verse 1, then the prophet Elijah arose like a fire and his word burned like a torch. And um, there's, a, there's another, yeah. So the Jews expected Elijah to come back. That, you remember what happened to Elijah? He was taken up into heaven. So they, they took the passage from Malachi and they uh, thought that this would literally happen that Elijah will come back. Well, the angel tells us that, not that um, John is Elijah reincarnate, <laughs> that, but that he has a ministry like Elijah's, right? That he's going to prepare the way of the Lord. Um, and you'll also notice that it, um, he's given certain um, restrictions. So he has to live a certain type of lifestyle, who can tell me what that lifestyle is called? <laughs> but but there should be a, once I say it, you'll you'll recognize it right away. He's a Nazarite, remember? Like 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 Samson, right? He can't cut his hair. He can't touch dead bodies. He can't eat, drink, swamp. Right? He's a Nazarite. These are the part of the Nazarite vows. Or at least some of them. If it's not if it's not the whole thing, it's at least some of those things. Notice what he says. 
He says, the angel says, I mean, he will be great before the Lord. And he says, he will turn many of the sons of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah. Why? To turn the hearts of the people, the hearts of the fathers to the children, and to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. God, for in order for God to work in our lives, to lead us effectively, we have to respond to him, right? Now, God helps us to do that, of course, and that's why God sent um, John the Baptist to prepare the people so that when Jesus comes, the people will respond favorably, right? God wants us to, for our hearts, to be turned, to be ready for when the Lord comes. Uh, And as John the Baptist prepared the people for the first coming of the Lord, we have to be ready for his second coming. I think that's an important um, note to see. Now, um, Now, um, also, just a note on Elizabeth here. Uh, we'll, get, we'll get there after. That's, that's next. So he's, oh, by the way, that word turning, to turn the hearts, that, that's uh, repentance, right? Repentance is to turn away from sin and towards God. Um, so... So first we have God is acting in history again. Then we have an outline of what John is called to do. John is called to live a a strange lifestyle. He's set apart for God, specifically for the purpose of preparing the people to receive Jesus. Um, And that's why John's preaching is... um, what we would call the law, right? <laughs> uh, he preaches a lot of um, repent uh, and, and this kind of thing. So that's all. That's um, he 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 summarizes the Old Testament prophets in one person, right? What does the Old Testament do? The Old Testament prepares people for the New Testament. The when we preach the law and the gospel, why? Because you can't really appreciate just how much your sins have been forgiven and how much God has done for you until you see just how terrible you were, <laughs> right? They, they, they balance each other out and go together. One prepares you for another. Next, I want you to, to see the personal element here. There is a um, very personal um, um, element that that God deals when God's God's coming into the world. He's sending angels. Um, now, it's a word on a word on that. Um, there's only two angels who are named in the Bible. Who are they? Gabriel and Michael. That's right. The other. I don't know how many there are. The other arch, the other archangels are listed in the apocrypha, so you can take it or leave it. But there's two of the angels that are named in the in the Bible: Gabriel and Michael. 
Um, the word angel means messenger. That's it. it. It's not what they are. It's what they do. You understand? Uh, an angel, an angel is a messenger from God. Um, so, so that's, it's, it's, it's good to keep that in, in context. Um, so, I want you to see a couple things now with, with Zachariah and Elizabeth. The first thing I want you to see is that God works through ordinary people. Zachariah and Elizabeth are just ordinary people. Right, they, they went to synagogue. He's just an ordinary guy. There's nothing that special about him. Why? Well, when, and how do we know that? How do we know he's not some great man of faith? Well, the angel speaks to him. And, and, and tells him what's going to happen. And what's his response? Pfft, that's not going to happen. Come on. My, I'm an old guy. My wife's, my wife went through menopause decades ago. It's over. There's nothing you can do. Right? That's his response. He doesn't believe him. And he should. Right? He absolutely should. This is not something that God hasn't done before. And there's an angel standing right in front of your face. Uh, (laughs) But he doesn't believe him. Right? This is different from Mary. You'll see Mary's different. Mary doesn't, she she believes the angel. She's asking, oh, how is this going to happen? All right? She's, right? He's not asking, okay, how are you going to do this? He's not asking that. He He doesn't believe it. He doesn't, he thinks his own natural situation is too much for God to handle. That God can't overcome his own situation. But, so, so he, this is an ordinary guy, right? And, yep. Well, he's an ordinary Israelite for a priest. I mean, there's 18,000 priests. I mean, it's not like pastors, right? Like where you have so many pastors. There's, it's a whole tribe of people, and the whole tribe is all priests, and there's so many of them that, right, you get, they get to only serve in the temple once a lifetime, right? You get your shot once a lifetime, and besides that, you're, you know, you're, you're a priest. You maybe have other duties. He probably had to, uh, had a farm or, or, or some other thing to keep himself supported because, um, because, he, there's so many priests, but um, I want you to see that God works through ordinary people doing what ordinary people do. <laughs> um, and he works through people who have that mixture of both half faith and devotion um, Right, so he's he's going he's a bit going through the motions, right? Um, he's doing his job, he's doing it faithfully. He is righteous. He's not breaking any of the commandments, but he's got a, pro- a faith problem, uh, and you see that in his reaction. Um, and God works through ordinary, average folk like you and me. Uh, he, uh, you can be doing your prayers, uh, going through the motions and doing it, and go- and that could be the day that God says something meaningfully to you through the text, right? 
the, the idea is God works about the fulfillment of his promises, not through the high and the mighty, but through the weak and the lowly things. Um, that's an important thing to get because we have this fear. Oh, well, you know, I can't share the gospel with my friends. I don't, I, I, who am I? I'm nobody. I, I, I don't know how to say, I don't know the words. I don't, I've heard all those excuses, but God works through people like us who might not always have the best answer, who might not always have um, the right, the right way, but he works through ordinary people doing their ordinary everyday tasks, doing their job, doing fulfilling their vocation so as you go about your life and you go to the store and you do what you're called to do and you do it faithfully god works through that uh that's an important thing to see here um and and notice that god is able to do two things at once right he's able both to prepare for the coming messiah and Answer the prayers of, in, of, of two desperate individuals. Um, I, I also want you to see that Elizabeth, he's even, God's able, sorry, God's even able to work through people who have their doubts, who have their, resp- uh, who, are, who aren't perfect models of faith, right? Zechariah has doubts and God still um, works through him. Now, he gives Elizabeth probably the most, the best gift a wife ever would ask for. And that's a silent husband, right? <laughs> for nine months, right? He can't talk. Um, next, I, I, Elizabeth, obviously she took this as, she, the, she, she, being barren was considered a disgrace. Why was not having kids a disgrace? Shameful. Because your kids are your social insurance. It's your pension. It's your, right? They don't have the government to hold them up. Your kids are responsible when you get old for taking care of you. So if you don't have any kids, it's considered, in, in, those, in those cultures, it was considered shameful. It was considered um, uh, that, that you must have done something wrong for God to do this bad thing to you for you to not have kids, all right? But... Elizabeth does not react as a victim. She does not bitter at God for her lack of a child. Um, she um, doesn't. She probably doesn't understand. She probably has some questions for God as to why this has happened to her. Um, but she, it, she the, the text says she's righteous. So she's she does not blame God for her. Um, for her situation. Okay. I want you to see that in the midst of disappointment, we all experience disappointments in life, right? Um, That those disappointments can be many things. Um, But God um, acts through ordinary people. He promises us a, a, a future. He, he works through us. And, and so the idea, I, I think the, the big lesson from 
from um, Zachariah and Elizabeth is we have to learn that we to we have to learn to trust God even in the midst of things that we don't understand or trying circumstances or disappointments in life. Um, we can ask questions about God or his actions. His plan might be difficult for us to get, but we have to be, uh, we have to trust God even when it's hard for us. Um, You've been listening to The Church Door. Thanks again for tuning in. If you have any comments, questions, or feedback, you can reach me, Pastor Matthew Fenn, at revfenn, R-E-V-F-E-N-N, at icloud.com. Look forward to having you with us again next time.